you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. How are you? Some of you guys are like, who is this goofy, goofy-looking man with a big grin? I am, I am Jeremy. I am one of the, the pastors here at the Movement Church. And uh, I'm actually emceeing this shindig today. Uh, it's going to be really, really good. Some of you guys look nervous, but it's okay. Don't be. It's going to be amazing this morning. Um, are you glad you came to church this morning? Yeah? Come on, are you glad you came to church this morning? A little bit more excitement, Yeah? Great. We are so glad you are here. Um, Pastor Carrie and Megan are actually on vacation, so they hate not being here. But listen, our pastors work really, really hard, so we're so glad they get to take a vacation and go hang out and enjoy their family. Uh, but we have an enormous treat for you this morning, uh, and we'll get to that in a second, but I want to I talk about one thing before we move forward. Um, September 17th, everybody say that. Say September 17th. That is the Movement Church's fifth anniversary. Come on, that's awesome, right? So listen, you do not want to miss September 17th. Put it in your calendar. Mark it down. It's going to be amazing. The, the Movement Church, we always party. We party big. So you got to know that we're going to probably have some surprises. I think I'm putting the event team maybe on the spot right now. So, uh, But that's okay. We're maybe going to shoot some people out of a rocket, possibly. Yeah, is that good? Perfect. Going to sign a waiver. Oh, we're not going to. I'm sorry. No, someone told, someone said no, we're not. But uh, but listen, just real quick, we're going to throw to a video real quick of Pastor Megan. So you guys turn your attention to the screen. Uh, she's going to talk to you guys for just a second. Hey, Movement Church. We're so glad you're here. And we couldn't be more excited about this series, Summer Blast. Paul, one of the main authors of the New Testament, wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, about nine characteristics that should be evident in every, 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 every Christ follower's life. These are called the fruit of the Spirit. These qualities are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in this series, we've got dynamic communicators who are gonna be teaching you for 10 minutes each on each one of these characteristics. So get ready, get, 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 get excited, it's gonna be fun. All right, come on, are you excited for this? This is gonna be amazing. It is my pleasure to introduce the one and the only. Come on, you guys, get excited, get ready. It is Pastor Katie Boyd. Well, good morning, Movement Church. I am so excited and grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Katie, and my husband Joe and I are the children's pastors here at the Movement Church. And I want to give you just a little bit of insight to my personality and who I am. I am a planner. I love details and to-do lists and pretty much knowing the outcome of every situation that I might encounter in the near future. Um, I've been this way my entire life. Ever since I was a little girl, I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in teaching. And so I did everything I could to make sure that I knew that that was going to happen. After high school, I was going to attend a four-year college. 
teaching credentials, student teaching. So at the age of 22, I was going to be a teacher. That was the plan. I was going to, uh, around 24, 25, find the man of my dreams and then have kids. And, you know, we all know that life goes exactly the way that we planned, right? Okay, so at the end of high school, things started to shift for me. I walked through uh, just a really, really challenging situation in my family. And as a result of some of the pain and emotions that came with that, I started to make some really, really poor decisions. Uh, that lasted all the way through my junior year of uh, college. And uh, pretty instantly, my life took a very different direction than I had ever planned. At the age of 20, I found out that I was pregnant and shortly after married. And to be honest, I felt like a complete failure because everything that I had worked so hard for, everything in my heart, my dreams, my passions, I felt were just completely ripped away from me. And it was my own fault. It was because of decisions that I had made. Maybe some of you can identify with that today. Just feeling like I wanted to fix my situation and I couldn't. There was no easy way out and I was completely overwhelmed. Pretty soon, well actually right from the beginning, Joe and I struggled financially, in our relationship, and I personally was really struggling with depression. I remember there was many days that I would be laying in my bed and listening to my baby cry and I, I couldn't even get out of bed to help him. I was so ashamed of the life that I had created, and I was so angry at myself for decisions that I had made that I didn't know how to move forward. After about seven months, Joe and I decided to make a new plan. That's what I always did. I made a plan to fix it. So we decided to move to Las Vegas, and we bought a house there, and then lived there for about a year and a half, and when that plan failed, miserably, we decided that we moved up to Seattle. We were able to, to spend some time with family and uh, just figure out how we were gonna move forward. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Seattle, but if you're struggling with depression, it's probably the worst place in the world to go. Am I right? It rains all the time, and when it's not raining, it's just cloudy and gray. And ironically, that was exactly how I felt my life was. I felt like I had a gray cloud that I could not get my head above. I wanted so badly to be happy. I would look at my amazing child and my husband and think, what is wrong with me? I felt so trapped. I felt so discontent. I felt like I was suffocating. I wonder how many people in this room feel like you're trapped like you're living in a gray cloud, like you, how many of us are living in a constant state of discontentment, just wanting something to change? This continued for about a year, another year, and Joe and I started to attend church. And it was at that church that I had such a real and personal encounter with Jesus that radically changed my life. I can't fully even describe it to you, or put it into words. But I was able to slowly let go of shame that had gripped me for years, since that junior year in college. I was able to forgive myself for things that I had done and decisions that I had made. And I was able to finally 
start to make headway and let go of the control that I thought I had over my life. That's what this series is all about. We talk about as we start to dive into how, how to experience the fruit of the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we experience when we have God in our life? How can we fully embrace what he has for us? When we stop trying, when we stop striving for something, when we stop trying to do it on our own and have our own agenda and our own plan, and we can fully trust what God has for our life, then we can experience some of that fruit of the Holy Spirit that he has for us. It was not long after my experience at church that I will never forget the moment. I was standing in my kitchen in Washington, and again looking out at the gray clouds that were still there. We had these big bay windows, and so I would stand there pretty often and just look out um, at, you know, the scenery. And I will never forget feeling this overwhelming and unexplainable sense of joy. I will never forget it. And I looked around and nothing in my situation had changed. We didn't have another dime in our bank account. I was still a young mom, not fully where I wanted to be in my life, but I had this overwhelming sense of joy that God had a plan for my life. I know that happiness sometimes can be circumstantial, but joy, that feeling of joy is, is so much deeper. And really, it's a choice. When I chose to trust God, when I chose to surrender my own agenda for what he wanted, I was filled with unexplainable joy. And I know that there's some of you in this room this morning that are thinking, you don't know what I'm experiencing right now. You don't know the mountain in my life that's keeping me from experiencing that joy. Maybe it's the loss of a dream. Maybe it's a broken relationship or an addiction. What situation in your life is stealing the joy that God wants for you? I can tell you that when you begin to shift your attention off of that circumstance, and you begin to fix your attention on who Jesus is and the promises that he has for you, you will be filled with an unexplainable joy. And I know this because it promises us that in his scripture. It says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says that God, the source of hope, will fill you with joy because you trust in him. And that phrase, because you trust in him, that requires action. We can't just sit on the sidelines and expect the feeling to be dropped in our lap. We actually have to choose to trust. We have to choose to surrender. And we have to choose to believe and hold on to that promise that God has for us. When we do this, our circumstance will no longer become the focus in our lives. But the promises of who God is and what he wants for us will. And I can tell you that it is not easy. There are still days today that I struggle with choosing joy. But I remind myself of where I've been and what God has done in my life. And I know that he will fill me with unexplainable joy when I choose to trust his plan. 
As I take a minute and I see my clock is ticking down, I want to pray for us. And as I do, if you identified, I just want to encourage you, if you identified with anything you heard this morning, write that scripture down. Again, it was in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And just hold on to that. Hold on to that promise and make it part of your everyday prayer for what God wants for your life. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. Can we give? Wow. That's such a good statement. You have to choose joy. I love that. Come on. Do you guys enjoy Pastor Katie? Yeah. Well, it is now. It's now that time. I don't know how you're going to follow that, Nate. Like, you know? What? what? <laughs> it doesn't matter. He can't hear me. Um, <laughs> listen, you guys give a big movement church round of applause. Come on, make some noise for Nate Nelson. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Nate. For those of you who don't know me, it's normal. I don't talk much. I'm married to the beautiful blonde bombshell, Anna, that led us in worship this morning. Yep. The end. We have five amazing kids, and I'm proud to announce we're pregnant with our sixth. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I hope. I hope I'm kidding. But I, I love my family. You know, I love them. I tell them I love them. I love the idea of them. I sit at work sometimes and I think, you know what, I love those guys. But something happens on the drive home, <laughs> the first five minutes through the door, and I get distracted. I get distracted with, with everyday life, with life stressors, with providing, with just everyday struggle of life. And I struggle with showing my love for them through actions, through my actions. And throughout the Bible, it's, it's, it's in there somewhere. That, that we're supposed to love through actions, right? The greatest love story of all time, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For all those who believe in him shall not perish and have eternal life, right? That is the greatest show of love through action. That is the action of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, forever. He died for everybody, even the people that haven't accepted him. He died for them. And I think... Even as Christ followers, we get distracted within the church. We see Pastor Megan, Pastor Kerry up here every single week dropping bombs of wisdom. We see the worship team up here just destroying the stage. And we think, you know, why, why am I not up there? Why am I not doing that? What is, what is my gift? What is my calling? And I think thoughts like, you know, I can play the intro to Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. Why am I not lead guitar player for the OC movement? You know, why, why is that not me? And, and Paul knew we would get distracted. And Paul wrote about distraction a lot in Corinthians. Uh, today we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. I'm not going to read anything from, from the chapters because I'm a slow reader and I don't want to get the best supporting actor music to get off the stage when my time is up. So I'm just going to describe what the chapters are about and then um, relate them to the church today, but more importantly, I'm going to talk about the actual structure and how the chapters are ordered. 
So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This chapter lists out the gifts in the church. So God gave the Corinthian church spiritual giftings. And chapter 12 is, is those gifts listed out, right? And relatable today, it's things like uh, lead pastor, worship pastor, connect group leader, people that are great at connecting. I should have taken my phone out, it's vibrating. People that are great at connecting the dots and just having, just spitting wisdom, basically. And creativity, all those are spiritual giftings. And these are listed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Then chapter 13 is called the love chapter. That's actually the nickname, the love chapter. And it talks about love is bold, love is kind, love is blind or something like that. It's in there, read it. But it talks about love, right? It's the love chapter. And then in chapter 14, you have specific instructions on how to use the gifts in chapter 12. So chapter 12, you have the gifts. Chapter 14, you have the instruction manual. Why is there this random, weird chapter placed right in the middle about love? I mean, it's a great, great chapter, and it's got good stuff, but why is, why is the placement where it is in the Bible? It's, it's really weird, and it's a biblical mystery. So when I was like eight years old, I remember for Christmas, I wanted this remote control car, and it was a white Porsche. And it was beautiful, right? So I asked Santa Claus for this for Christmas. And I was born with a silver spoon, so I knew I was going to get it. So Christmas Eve, I'm really excited. I'm in my room. I can't sleep. I never could sleep on Christmas Eve. I would wait until I didn't hear any more noise. And then I would go in there and play with my toys. So it's like 2.30 it's like in the morning. And I've got my ear to the crack in the bottom of the door. Both my ears worked then, so it didn't matter which ear I had to the crack. And I didn't hear any more noise. So I wait like five minutes. I open the door and I peek out in the hallway and the lights are out. I don't hear anything. So I, I sneak down the hallway and I wasn't crippled as a kid. So I don't know why I'm walking like this. But I went into the living room, right? And I see it. There it is. It's this beautiful white Porsche. And I run over. I'm so excited. I pick it up. I turn it on. Nothing works. Open it up. No batteries, right? So Santa Claus loved my parents. He knew that I would put the batteries in my toys and they would make artificial noises and wake my parents up. And he wanted my parents to have a good night's sleep. So at Christmas, all the batteries for my toys would go into my parents' room. So no batteries. So from like 2.30 in the morning to 7.30, I'm manually pushing this car around the living room, right? And it's like five hours of just, it's a good one. It's a good remote control car, so the tires will not turn unless you push the remote on the gas, or push the gas on the remote. So I'm pushing this thing around the living room, and it's like 7.30, finally they wake up. I've got jelly arms. So I run to my parents' room, I get the batteries, I run back, I open up the bottom of the car, I'm putting in the batteries, it takes me like 30 minutes. This thing's like 9D batteries and four 9-volt batteries. This thing's massive, right? So I'm putting the batteries in the car, finally get them all in there, turn it on, lay it down, and push the gas. Right? I still remember the sound it made. It was like, except a lot less constipated and a lot more manly than that. And I remember I ran it right into the fireplace. But I remember thinking, wow, that's what this thing can do? And all it needed was the batteries? I was able to manually push this car around, but it was not able to do what it was made to do without the batteries. And that's what, that's what this chapter is. It's not, it's not a random chapter. It's not a biblical mystery. It's probably the most strategically placed chapter of any book on the Bible. 
right? It's the love. You have your gifts, you have the instructions. They don't work without the batteries. Love is the batteries. And the Bible says God is love, right? So love, I was able to manually push this car around. You'll see glimpses of your gifts. You'll see glimpses of what your life could be, but you'll never be who you were created to be. You'll never be able to do what you were created to do without love in every part of your life. Every ounce of you has to be love. I challenge you with this. Do you have love in every part of your, your life, in every aspect? Can you say yes to that? Because it's easy to love the lovely. It's hard to love the ugly. Are you loving the ugly? Okay, everybody right now take out your phone and hold it up. I was hoping I'd have time for this, so I, got, I was nervous and I sped through it, so we're good. All right, now, does everybody use an alarm when they wake up in the morning? Okay, so 15 minutes after that alarm you use for, for waking up, set another alarm. Do it right now. Look at me when you're done. And title that alarm, God So Loves Me. Everybody done? Not everybody's looking. God So Loves Me is what you're going to name it. And okay, when that alarm goes off every morning, this is your prayer. God, thank you for so loving me. Please help me to spread that love with everyone I come in contact with today. In Jesus' name, amen. So have love. Peace, I'm out. Wow. Do you want, do you want your phone? Oh, you, an encore? Do you guys want an encore? <laughs> Great job, Nate. Great job. Come on. I don't even know what to say after it. It's amazing. That and I'm up here being awkward right now with the microphone. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to introduce the grand finale. <laughs> Come on, you guys make some noise for Pastor Curly Gordy, Laura Gordy. Hey, hey, guys. I like it. I like it. Well, all right, we're going to talk about peace today. The grand finale is peace. Isn't that exciting from the get-go? But I think we can all identify with the search for peace. Right In a country where we have one every 34 seconds, someone suffers from a heart attack. That's just the United States, guys, every 34 seconds. I think we get this, we have this idea in our heads that peace is somewhere down at the bottom, and it's covered up by all the soccer practices and the PTA meetings, and our three-year-olds that are potty training, come on, somebody, that's me right now, and our frustrating spouses sometimes, and all the places we have to be, and that work deadline that's coming up, and I can't even think about where the piece is. It's somewhere down there, and if we could just remove everything else, maybe we could get at it, and then we pile on all of our bad decisions and our shame and our guilt and our frustrations, and peace seems unattainable, but Isaiah 26.3 says, he keeps him in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on the Lord. Notice it didn't say he keeps him in peaceful perfection. 
I think sometimes we get peace and perfection really, really confused, right? We can pack perfect little bento lunches for our kids that are organic and gluten-free, and we can press our clothes perfectly, and we can wax our car perfectly, and make sure everyone's home in time for dinner. We can do all of the things that we know to have a perfect life, but you won't find peace there. We can adjust the curtains of our lives and dust the baseboards. It's not going to be there. But Jesus' followers struggled with this a little bit too. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples were on a boat out on sea, and Jesus goes to sleep. And lo and behold, a storm comes. But not just any storm, a storm that scares these fishermen Okay, they live their lives out on the water. So they are terrified. And it says the water begins to come into the boat and they think they're going to die. So they run and they wake up Jesus who is still asleep. Doesn't even make sense. And they're like, Jesus, don't you even care that we're dying here? And Jesus wakes up. He's really frustrated that they will come up actually. And he says, peace, be still. And he turns to the disciples frustrated and he says, what are you so afraid of? Jesus tells us right then and there that peace and fear can't go hand in hand. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peach, peace which stands guard over your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. This is my favorite part about peace. The way it stands guard over your heart and your mind. I don't know if you've ever experienced the kind of fear that grips your heart and just won't let go. That tightness in your chest that every time you look at something, you see that thing that you fear. I've been there. In November of 20, I don't know what year, 2016, <laughs> Dean was laying on my lap, and he begins to shake and convulse violently, and he's turning blue. And I have no idea what is happening. I just know everything is wrong, right? You moms know that everything is wrong. And I holler at my husband to come in here, which, by the way, we're in the middle of a fight, because that's when crisis comes, right? Like, not when you're, like, ready and waiting for a crisis, but when you already think you can't handle anything else, right? So Scott's like, what? I can't right now. And I'm like, no, something's wrong. Something's wrong. So in true dad fashion, he turns into a superhero. Like, he was angry, and then he's now jumping over, like, the kitchen bar to come and save the day. And he takes Dean. He's like, he's choking. Let's give him the Heimlich. I'm like, no, he's not. But yes, do something anything. And so he's trying to do something. I'm calling 911 and I'm telling 911, you've got to get here. We have an infant. There's, he's not breathing. He's shaking. We don't know what's happening. And he continues to shake and he is blue. And I'm on the phone with 911 and all of a sudden, this goes on for like four minutes, all of a sudden Dean's body goes limp. And I said to 911, he just died. I thought that's what had happened. Thankfully, the 911 operator had the sense of mind to say, go check and see if he's breathing. And he was. <laughs> um, what had happened was he had had a seizure. And at that point, he was fully fine because the seizure had ended. And he was so exhausted that he passed out. But I didn't know, right? 
And so we fast forward a couple of months into January, and he continues to have eight seizures in a 24-hour period. And I don't know if you know a whole lot about seizures. I do now. <laughs> and seizures are like shutting your computer running out of battery and shutting down, and the last little bit of things that haven't been saved yet are just gone. So it's like a memory wipe. So after eight seizures, Dean had to relearn how to walk. He knew how to walk, and he thought he knew how to walk, and he would get up and try to go across the room and would go down. It took him two or three weeks to relearn how to walk. Now, he did, and he's fully fine now. But in that season, we spent a week in the hospital. Someone came to visit us and was kind, a friend. I don't even remember who it was, but they shared a story about a friend of theirs who had a 16-year-old son who was basically quadriplegic and couldn't even carry on a normal conversation, was in a, handicapped in a wheelchair because they'd had seizures their whole life, and they had that memory wipe after memory wipe after memory wipe. And they were well-meaning. They were trying to connect. I don't, I don't know why we do that. We share horrible stories with people when they're in the middle of crisis. Like, I don't, I don't know. But I now had a new picture of my worst nightmare. And every time I looked at Dean, I could see it. Him at 16 in a wheelchair, not able to function as a normal person. That's what fear can do, right? It can rob us of the moments. The moments that he's perfectly healthy right in front of us. But we have fear and a new picture of what could take place. But Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your request known to God. And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which doesn't make sense, that peace stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I had to make a decision really quickly. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to go to him? I'm going to do what this says and go to him about what I'm scared about. Am I going to trust in him? Am I going to focus on the good? It says with petition, with thanksgiving. Am I going to focus on what is good instead of just the things that are terrifying? Dean was healthy right in front of me. And I have something to be thankful for. So God transformed my mind. I love how it goes on to say peace stands guard over your hearts and minds. We tend to think of peace as this just real chill thing. It's not something we have to fight for. But it says right there that the peace of God stands guard over your hearts and over your minds. Like soldiers standing there saying, nope, the, the waters may go crazy like for the disciples. Things may not go right. Your spouse might, might tell you something you were never prepared to respond to. The test might not work out the way you want, but those soldiers can guard over your hearts and your minds and say, no, we can deal with what's in front of us, but we don't have to have fear in our heart. We get a choice. I love how God chose to describe peace as a fruit. It's not at the bottom of all of this crazy lives and all of the mess and all of the imperfections. It's a fruit hanging on a tree right in front of us. All we have to do is reach out and take it and take a bite. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let's pray. God, I just ask that you would raise up an idea of peace in our hearts. 
peace that just doesn't make sense, peace that though we are facing a bad diagnosis or a frustrating situation or not enough zeros in the right place in the bank account. Father God, we ask that you would raise up a peace that doesn't make sense and that we can keep our mind stayed on you. God, you are good and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, can we give Pastor Gurley a hand? <laughs> Was that not so good? So, so such an amazing story about how, I'm not going to recap, I can't do it justice, but it, it's such an amazing story and oh, just a word picture of just how the enemy wants to steal our peace and rob us of even our present joys. Right, we, we, heard, we heard from Pastor Katie about joy. We heard from Nate about love and, and from Pastor Gurley about peace. And, and just right now, I, I, think that, I think that everybody in the room can honestly say, if, you, if, you're, if you're honest and you take a real evaluation of what's going on in your life right now, that we can all kind of sort of relate to one of these, right? Or maybe multiple. For me, it's multiple. And just if you were sitting here and you're saying, look, I, I, I struggle with joy, I have a tough time with joy. I, you know, I have a tough time believing believing that God accepts me for who I am, or even thinking that God loves me, or He can even love me. Maybe you have, maybe you deal with shame. Maybe you are struggling through depression and um, and just some things, some insecurities, and some things in your life. Maybe maybe you just need some peace, right? That peace that that Pastor Gurley talked about, the peace that surpasses understanding, the kind that whenever you look at the situation in front of you. You look at it and you go, you know what, that doesn't make any sense, but I know that my God's bigger and he's greater and, and I can trust him. Maybe you're in one of, th one of those three categories. You need joy. You need reassurance of what God's love is for your life or, or you just need peace. And if, that's, if, if you can honestly, honestly say that, that I fall into one of those three categories, can we just lift our hands? If, if that applies to you, well, let's pray together. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes real quick? Let's, let's pray a prayer together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I thank you that you are the God of joy, that you are the God of peace, and most of all, Father, that you are the God of love, that it's unconditional love. It doesn't have strings attached to it, that you want us to know that you love us. So, Father, I just pray for every individual in the room right now, Lord, and I pray that you would just reestablish that in their hearts and in their minds, that you would help them realize that you can, you can, they can have joy, they can experience your love, and they can experience your peace. Father, I pray that you would do that right now, just with everybody's heads, bows, and, I, and his, uh, eyes still closed. Maybe you're in this room, and you're, you're, you're sitting here going, well, Pastor Jeremy, I don't really understand this because this doesn't really relate to me because I've never even, I've never even accepted, you know, I've never prayed a prayer of salvation before. I've never accepted Christ, what we call accepting Christ into, into our lives. And if, if you're in the room and you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never uh, experienced that type of freedom, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. I'm not going to make you come up to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just right here with no one looking, just say this prayer with me. Say, Father, I love you. I know that I'm not too far gone. And I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, was buried, and rose again. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. 
Father, I'll give you everything, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.